The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. You have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to have you with us this morning, especially those who are visiting. It's great to see some new faces, and for those who are joining us online, wherever you are, welcome Again, before we dive into John 8, would you bow your heads with me as I share one more brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message today is The Light of the World, and I'd like to begin by asking this question. When was the last time someone could not see you for who you really are? This past year has been a difficult one, not only in what we've had to face together, but also in what we've had to do together. 
In Alpine, Texas, this proved true in the 394th Judicial District Court of Judge Roy Ferguson, where in early February, three attorneys were asked to join the judge via Zoom to process a case. The problem, one attorney, excuse me, one attorney had trouble being seen for who he really is. Maybe you've seen this. Check it out. Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to uh, uh, take, take we're a trying look. To, we're tr can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. That's not, I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. Um, I think if you click the up arrow next to Isn't that amazing? Listen, I've been waiting to play that video forever. And even someone on our production team said, I thought that was an SNL skit. That was not an SNL skit. It was a real live judicial hearing. You see, apparently, attorney Rod Ponton had been using a secretary's computer at a remote location, when to his surprise, he appeared as a cat. Some of the lines that stick with me, I don't know about you, but here are some of the ones that stuck with me. Judge, I'm here live, and I'm not a cat. And I love this one. And I'm prepared to go forward with it. Meaning he was prepared to process a case as a furry feline. You know, reflecting on the incident, this attorney, Ponton, was humble and very sweet afterwards with the media. He said, we've all had a stressful year, and I think the world needed to have a good chuckle, even if it was at my expense. And that, he did provide, didn't he? A good chuckle. Well, turning our attention to our passage, John 8, for today, Jesus, too, engages in a unique conversation where religious leaders of his day refuse to see him for who he really is. This despite Jesus speaking very clearly to them with no mask and no filter. And what makes this conversation so compelling is that Jesus, excuse me, what Jesus actually says about himself has the potential to change everything for everyone, not only then, but now. Every one of us. This leads me to our big idea, our big takeaway from our passage. Jesus is the light of the world and pure joy and safety come to those who follow him. We're going to break this down by asking two questions today. Do you want joy and do you want safety? So let's dive in. Question one, do you want joy? Our passage begins, Jesus spoke to them. Again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, as you hear these words, 
What thought, image, or song comes to mind? Here's what comes to mind for me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm off key a little bit. Someone help me. Taylor. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. I'm all over. (laughs) Forgive me, people at home. They're like, what happened? I thought you could sing. It's early. But what comes to mind as you hear Jesus say, I'm the light of the world? You know, another thing or image that comes to mind is this, the, the image of a flashlight. Anyone, when you hear this is, uh, I'm the light of the world, anyone think of a flashlight? I, I think I blend this passage with passages like Psalm 119, which read, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so when I come across light metaphors in the Bible, I sometimes think of like man-made lights or helpful lights along the path. I somehow picture myself as data from the movie Goonies. Any of you guys 80s kids? Yeah? Uh, Yeah, Mel Alms, like that's me. You've got me. Got me, Pastor Paul. But anyway, someone who's just equipped with every tool for anything that they can face on any day. Is that what you think of when you hear Jesus as the light? What if I told you that these images of Jesus as the light of the world were far too small than he originally intended? What if I told you that what Jesus came to offer us was far larger than what we've maybe ever understood? Now, if you've stuck around our church long enough, you've probably heard us say this phrase, in the Bible, there's no text without a context. You've heard us say that. And so it's very important to look at the context of a text. And today's passage really proves that to be true. If we go back one chapter to John 7, we see that Jesus made his way to the temple in Jerusalem for a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this is a little bit of a history lesson, Nick, but it changes everything in how we read this. So he, along with many others, go to Jerusalem to the temple for the Feast of Tabernacles. So what is the Feast of Tabernacles, you ask? Well, it's one of the three primary festivals where Jewish men from around the world were instructed to make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to meet with God and his people. And we see this throughout Scripture, right? These kind of pilgrimages. And specifically, the Feast of Tabernacles was to celebrate God's deliverance of his people from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And this feast highlighted God's kindness, his protection, his provision, his patience, his faithfulness. And so this, if you're checking out, check in. This is where the story gets really, really interesting and where Jesus' words become very powerful. As the pilgrims would make their way to Jerusalem, they would all stay in tents, just like their ancestors did on the way to the promised land. And do you know what else they would do? They would have an all-night festival of lights to celebrate God leading their ancestors through the wilderness by way of a massive pillar of fire. And this was no little celebration at this feast. 
According to one theologian, it was a spectacular celebration, both in its concept and in its annual observance. In the center of the treasury, which was a courtyard location within the walls of the temple, and it's later cited in our passage, verse 20, four great torches were set up. Some accounts say that the torches were as high as the highest walls of the temple, and that at the top of these golden candelabra were great bowls holding 65 liters of oil. There was a ladder for each candelabrum, and in the evening, young, healthy priests would carry the oil up to the top where they would light the protruding wicks. Just imagine it. The great flames that leapt out of these torches illumined the whole temple in much of Jerusalem. According to another early source, a source called the Mishnah, once the torches were lit, men of piety and good works would dance before them with burning torches in their hands, singing songs and praises, and countless Levites played on harps, lyres, cymbals, and trumpets, and instruments of music. The party, if you research this festival, would last all night. The whole point was for the whole person, the whole assembly, the whole nation of Israel to remember and enjoy the pure joy that comes from trusting in the Lord. You see it? And it's in this setting that Jesus stood up and dropped these words. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you realize the insanity or unbridled clarity of Jesus' words? Jesus, at the very festival that celebrated how God delivered his people by splitting the Red Sea, for providing for his people by sending manna from heaven and led his people by way of a massive pillar of fire by night. Jesus says to all the pilgrims and leaders gathered in the courtyard of the temple, I am that light. I am the one who delivered you, O Israel. I am the one who provided for you, O children of Abraham. I am the one who leads you and guides you through the darkest night. I am the one who brings joy in the morning. I am he. It's no wonder that the religious leaders were up in arms, right? I can just imagine, honestly, Jim, if you're there, or Colleen, if you're there and you hear Jesus speaking these words and you're his follower, you're like doing this. Oh my God, Jesus, now's not the time. And you're like shrinking back in the crowd going, what is he doing? Does he know what he's... And just so we know exactly what Jesus was saying, in our passage, he applies a well-known and protected Jewish term that was used for God alone, and he uses that and applies it to himself. 
And it goes back to the burning bush moment of Exodus 3 when God called Moses. It's a term which in English reads, I am. In ancient Greek, it's ego ami. And he uses it over and over and over again. In our passage alone, it's used three different times. Verse 12, verse 24, and verse 28. Jesus is making very clear the proclamation of his divinity. Just to heighten it even more, Jesus doesn't just say he is a light. He says, I am the light, using a definite article in verse 12, thus making the exclusive claim that he is sovereignly and singularly the only way of salvation and the only way to receive the light of life. Again, pretty audacious claim, right? And lastly, he shares this gem. And if you're someone who's been away from the church or have never been to church, this one's especially for you. He says, I am the light of the Jews. No. I am the light of this region now. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So on one hand, Jesus' statement is wildly exclusive in that he says he is the means of redemption. And yet, it's wildly inclusive in that it's offered to anyone, anywhere. Its scope has no end in sight. You see it? So what does this mean? Well, it means that Jesus was incredibly bold, bold and clear. He claimed to be the historic, exclusive, and unlimited source of God's redemption and joy. Moreover, it means that if you want joy, no matter who you are and where you are in life, Jesus offers it to you today. Do you want joy or need joy today? Jesus says, follow me. This leads me to our second question. Do you want safety? What strikes me about the rest of our passage is where Jesus takes the conversation, how he unfolds it. We don't have time to unpack every verse, but essentially the religious leaders call him to account. They say, by what authority do you share this proclamation? And Jesus responds by talking about his relationship with God the Father, by their sin, and by sharing about his illuminating act of salvation. Now catch this. Ultimately, Jesus wants everyone to know that joy, pure joy, comes when one feels safe. And that safety can only come at the highest of cost. That's where Jesus takes us. Check it out with me. In verses 21 through 24, he says, then he said to them, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You're from below, he told them. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I told you, you will die in your sins. 
For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Notice how Jesus first tells the leaders that they will die in their sin, singular, and then he shifts it to sins, plural. So what is the singular sin Jesus is referring to? He's referring to the baseline sin of trusting in oneself over trusting in God. In the words of the late William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, there are only two possible centers for life, God and self. If we're not becoming centered upon God, we're becoming centered upon self, and self-centeredness is the essence of sin. And Jesus' conversation with the religious leaders was not meant to be a scare tactic, and these words are not meant to be a scare tactic for us, Brandon. Rather, Jesus' words were and are meant to be a clear and honest intervention of love. Now let's lighten this up just a minute. All this reminds me of a story of a sea captain I heard years ago. Perhaps you've heard it. It goes something like this. Looking into the dark night, the captain of a ship saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly a return message was received. Offer, alter your course 10 degrees north. And the captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman Third Class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing that fear would strike at the core of whoever received it. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And then came the reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. You see, like the captain, each of us likes to make our own calls, don't we? We like to chart our own path. But what Jesus is making clear here is if we build a life that we're the center of and not God, we'll end up a tangled mess on the rocks of destruction. Yet what's so compelling is that how our passage ends, it doesn't end with just this warning Jesus then takes it somewhere else. It ends with a promise of hope, a promise of deliverance, a promise of new life offered for you and for me. Check it out. In verse 28, near the end of our passage, we read, Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own. And on this side of Easter, we know that Jesus was referring to his crucifixion, his sacrificial and gruesome death for you and for me. On this side of Easter, we know that for the light of life to come on in our lives, it had to go out in his. 
In the prophetic words of Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. How can we be assured of this joy? By placing our faith in Jesus. In the words of theologian F.D. Bruner, the cross will be God's greatest single meeting place with the human race, his one great hour of sharing. There the gospel of John dares to assert in the strange hoisting, God has made himself most accessible to the world. What is God like? Look there. How much does God love the world? Look there. How can I know him? Look there. And so what does this all mean? It means that Jesus, the light of the world, who was powerful beyond our wildest imagination and loving beyond all comprehension, no matter the cost, wants you to live in pure joy, knowing that you're fully secure in him. No darkness is too dark for his light and love to invade today. No distance is too far for his light and love to invade today. No problem is too complex for his light and love to invade today. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. And pure joy and safety come to those who follow him. So do you want joy today? Place your faith in Jesus. Come to him with your hunger. Come to him with your thirst. Come to him with your darkness. Do you want safety today? Place your faith in Jesus. Come to him with your self-confidence. Come to him with your self-trust. Come to him with your self-absorption. Jesus is the light of the world and pure joy and safety come to those who place their trust and follow him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good, good news that Jesus is the light of the world. And that changes everything for us. He leads us and provides for us through the darkness. He rescues us. He brings us into a place of pure joy. How do we know? Well, he gave everything for us. If you're someone here that is facing darkness or hunger or pride or arrogance, I just invite you to confess that. Lord, I confess all of that to you. I, I bring you my need. I bring you my heart. I bring you my life. I turn from my sin and my self-trust and I believe in you. Give me your joy and safety. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.